0: Well, Good morning. It's a joy to be with you again this morning. My name is Chris Colquitt. I'm the senior pastor here. I have missed you. We had two weddings we had committed to before we committed this job the last two weekends away. That's where I was. I didn't quit and run away yet. Um, It's great to be with you. And I'd like to welcome uh, visitors here this morning. Uh, Love to meet you after the service. It's going to be a bit of an odd after the service because we have a congregational meeting. Um, But stick around and then come and introduce yourself. In fact, if you're a member, come and introduce yourself because I probably don't know you yet. Um, This summer, we are in the Psalms. And to organize us somewhat, we are looking at the Psalms of Asaph, a collection of Psalms we find in Psalm 50 and then Psalm 73 to 83. A few weeks ago, I began this series looking at Psalm 50, which contains one of the most important verses for me to read every day, where God tells the people of Israel, He tells you, He tells me, If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. God does not need me. He doesn't need you. In fact, the relationship he desires is one in which we need him. We depend upon him. And then last week, Kelly picked it back up in Psalm 76. And that passage ties into that same theme, that our glory, the glory that we seek is received the same way, not by our own efforts or through others, but dependent upon God, seeking our glory from Him and in Him. And this week we turn to Psalm 81. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to Psalm 81. You may also find it printed in your bulletin. Hear God's Word. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine. The sweet lyre with the harp, blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day, for it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden and your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O oh my people, while I admonish you. O oh Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways, I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you this is the word of the Lord let's pray great God in heaven we rejoice that you have called us here this morning by your name and to hear your gospel Lord we couldn't know you if you didn't speak to us if you didn't reveal yourself to us and we rejoice that you have we praise you and thank you and now we ask your help by the power of your holy spirit you would help us to listen to you to listen to the words that you have spoken be with me that i might speak truly and clearly and boldly and in love and be with all of us that we might see and treasure our savior jesus christ resting in him alone for our salvation bless us we pray in his name amen If you remember from Psalm 50, and you don't need to turn there, and you probably don't, but I preached it, so I do. In verse 15 of Psalm 50, there's a picture, a cycle of what it looks like for us to relate to God. God says this, Call upon me in your day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. Call upon me, I will deliver you, you will glorify me. That is the kind of relationship that God is looking for from us. He's not looking for us to graduate to self-reliance, to independence. He wants us to rely upon him, to live in dependence upon him, our deliverer. We depend, he delivers. We depend, he delivers. And this is most beautifully on display in the gospel of Jesus Christ, where we bring absolutely nothing to the table and he provides all. This Jesus Christ who, as Kelly reminded us last week, took on our shame and guilt so that we might receive his glory. And in Jesus, we're called to live a life of trust in God. And Psalm 81 is going to help us zoom in and understand still more what that relationship of dependence and deliverance looks like. And in particular, here's what we're going to see. The deliverance of God, the provision of God, includes him speaking to us. A big part of God delivering us is him speaking. And the essence of our dependence is listening. God speaks, we listen. God delivers, we depend. This psalm is a call to listen to God. Verse 8, hear, O my people, that word is listen. Listen, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me. So this morning we're going to think about listening to God. Three points for us. What it is, why it's hard, and how we do it. What it is, why it's hard, and how we do it. So let's first look at verses 6 to 7. God is speaking of Israel's deliverance from slavery in Egypt, and he says this, I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Now that start of verse 7 should sound familiar. In distress you called, and I delivered you. Sounds a lot like Psalm 50, verse 15 that I've just mentioned. You call, I deliver, you glorify. But here in Psalm 81, the psalmist adds more, and it's, there's more to the history of Israel, because after that deliverance, what does it say? He says, I answered you in the secret place of thunder. That's a reference to Mount Sinai. And here, it'd be helpful to refresh ourselves, or hear for the first time, the history of God's people. They were slaves in Egypt. The sons of Jacob went there to be delivered from famine and yet they became slaves and they called out to God for deliverance and he sent Moses to go before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And again and again, Moses said no. And God sent plagues on Egypt until finally he said, okay, y'all go. And so they leave, but then Pharaoh changes his mind and chases them down And they're up against the Red Sea and the Lord parts the waters of the Red Sea and the people of Israel walk through on dry land. The Egyptian army follows and the waters come back over the Egyptian army and the people are freed. This wonderful victory of God for his people. But as the psalm reminds us, the salvation of Israel is not complete on the other side of the Red Sea. Because what happens next in the story is that they are taken to Mount Sinai, gathered for God to speak to them. He gathers them so that Moses might be given the law and it might be given to them. They call to God and he answers. Not just by doing, but by speaking. In verses 9 to 10 of our psalm are virtual quotations of what he says at the Ten Commandments. Verse 9, there shall be no strange God among you, and you shall not bow down to a foreign God. These are the first two commandments. And then verse 10 is actually in the Ten Commandments, the prologue, but here it comes second. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. If you want to go look in Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5, you'll find those same words printed there. The scene here is of Sinai, of the law being given. God speaks to his people. And the exhortation of this psalm is that we would listen. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me. That word, hear or listen, and it appears here twice in verse 8, also in verse 11 and verse 12. We'll We'll learn one Hebrew word this morning, shema. Shema means to hear, to listen. It's a rich biblical word. It's used often, hear, O Israel. It's the lead-in to the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, and then it's also the lead-in to the most important prayer of the Jewish people in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Still today, if you go to a synagogue, the Shema is recited morning and evening. Hear, O Israel. Listen, my people. Now, before we think about any difficulties we might have with listening to God's speech— I want us to reflect on the beauty of it, on the gift that it is. God doesn't have to talk to us. Every week, and you all haven't heard me enough to get bored of this, but I'm probably going to pray every week some prayer like I just prayed, which praises God and thanks Him for revealing Himself to us and reminds you and me that He didn't have to. God didn't have to talk to us, and He does. He does. He doesn't talk to grasshoppers, but he talks to you and to me. And the psalm says that's a gift, that's a blessing, that's part of God's salvation. When, when the Lord rescues the people of Israel from Pharaoh and his lordship, he doesn't rescue them into free agency. He doesn't say, good, you're on the other side of the Red Sea, you're free. He rescues them into his lordship. He rescues them into his covenant people. Salvation isn't complete when Pharaoh's army is drowned. Salvation isn't complete until he has spoken life into them, shown them how to live. How often do you find yourself confused by life? New jobs, which I'm now taking, that's that's an even more common occurrence than normal what am i supposed to do what's right what's wrong why is this happening anyone ever been confused with questions like that and as much as we we'll talk about in a second don't really like hearing people tell us a lot of times we, we desperately just want someone to tell us right just tell me what to do who's out there to tell me what to do maybe that's a friend maybe that's a beloved parent you call on the phone mom dad what do I do here? Maybe that's some expert on TV or in print. Okay, that's what I do. We look for that. We need guidance. This life is not easy. It is confusing. The Bible claims that God, in loving his people, speaks to them, speaks to us, and tells us how we are to live. And this is a gift. Some of you will have had the joy of shopping at Ikea, if you've ever been to an ikea there's a beautiful showroom full of rickety but good looking furniture right and you walk through and you you take a little picture on your cell phone and you're like oh that i want that i want that armoire that looks great and it's great you get a meatball all is well and then you and then you walk down into the bowels of ikea and you realize that that little code takes you to a shelf and you buy that piece of furniture but it's not the beautiful piece of furniture that's all put together It is a box of boards. Has anyone had this experience? Literally, it's just a box of boards. And you take it home, and you are expected to make that box of boards into furniture. You're buying at IKEA not furniture, but the right to make furniture. Uh, And the the pieces that you put together. You need the instructions in that box to have any hope of putting together those boxes of boards and making them into a piece of furniture that you're going to like. Try it without it, it doesn't work very well. You need to know how to do it. Our lives, you and I wake up in the morning every day often feeling like a box of boards. We have these parts, we have these feelings, we have these desires, we have these gifts, and we don't know how to put them together. And the gift of God to the people of Israel here and to us in speaking is that he shows us how to put ourselves together. He shows us how to live. And friends, that's that's massively a blessing. God tells us, He tells the people of Israel, this is this is where that part goes. This is how that fits together. This is the order in which you do it. This is how you build that thing. God doesn't sit back and hand you the box of boards and say, Let's see if they can figure this thing out. Does it feel like sometimes that's what God does? God's sitting there going, Is he gonna is he gonna do it right? God actually speaks to you and says, hey, listen to me. Here's how you do it. Life is not a puzzle to be solved to prove to God how great. Life is instructions to be listened to. That's what the law of God was. It's beautiful. It should have been easy. Take this, put it there. But It's not. That takes us to our second point, why it's hard. Why is it hard to listen to God? You would think that a people who saw the plagues inflicted and then walked on the dry land of the Red Sea and then saw the Red Sea crush the armies of Egypt, you would think that people would at least for a few minutes be able to listen to God. You'd think they would say, okay, this is someone worth listening to. And yet, we know they didn't. Before Moses even comes down from the mountain with the law, they've, they've messed it up. And they prove again and again that they will not listen to God. Like Adam before them, and like us today, God's provision is complete. Adam didn't plant the garden. They're about to go into a promised land with houses they didn't build and wells they didn't dig. They're eating manna they didn't bake. And yet, they won't receive the word of God that tells them how they are to live Look at verses 11 to 13. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Now, these verses help us complete the picture of what listening to God looks like by contrast, because listening means submitting to him, walking in his ways, doing what he says but Israel and you and I are stubborn and we choose to follow our own counsels. God comes down with a strong but tender voice and says, beloved child, this is how you can live. Do this. This is the way of life. And, and we hear and we refuse to listen and say, no, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. It would be unbelievable if it was not so demonstrably true. We prefer a self-guided life. As Americans, that's in our blood. It's not because we're Americans. As a Texan, that's exceptionally in my blood. It's not because I'm a Texan. It's because I'm a sinner. If you ever want to annoy me, um, get in my car and ask where we're going and then put in directions in your phone and tell Siri to start talking to me, okay? I will throw you out of my car. Or I might be kind and and, and suffer along. I don't use navigational tools if I can help it at all. I think they're terrible. I don't like being told where to go. I want to figure it out myself. (laughs) I stand by the fact that that's actually a a healthy way to live. Um, There's a great book by Matthew Crawford called Why We Drive, you should read it. You'll be converted. Okay, but that also happens to be the way I approach God. I don't want the navigational voice. I'm going to figure it out myself. That's how we operate. Rather than listening to God, I want to listen to my own thoughts or my own feelings or the opinions of others and operate on that basis. We can see this in our sin lives. Our sin, most of our sin, could be explained as simply listening to something other than God. Listening to the voice inside of me, whether that's a feeling, a desire, or some thought that I have that I think I'm clever in having, and doing that instead of listening to God. God says to be patient and forgiving and long-suffering, but anger feels much better. It feels right. God says not to covet, not to be a materialist who looks for pleasure in earthly goods, but it feels much better to shop on the internet, to look at my friend's stuff and want it. God says not to be prideful, to be humble, and yet y'all say nice things about me sometimes, and I love just to chew those over in my head. It feels so good. And I listen to that feeling rather than listening to the voice of God. I suspect you do the same thing. We also see this in the way we approach the Bible and the faith in God Himself. There's a question for you this morning. Do you come to God as a listener? Or do you come as a critic with opinions and ideas? You're going to evaluate what God has to say and see what you think. Do you come this morning as a listener? When I was in college, one of our professors said uh, that he thought the students who got the best education were actually the ones who came from a theistic, religious, and more traditional background because the professors often said things that they didn't agree with. And what that meant was that sitting in that class, I had to think, okay, this guy's really smart. He's saying something that I didn't think about. I don't think that way. Why? And am I going to believe that or going to go somewhere else? Right? You got to be critical thinker when your views are challenge. That's the ethos of the university. It's the ethos of UVA. It's Thomas Jefferson's enlightenment. Think critically about ideas. It's a good way to study at UVA. It's not a good way to approach God. And in fact, Mr. Jefferson approached God that way. And you know what happened? He wrote his own Bible that took out all the parts he didn't like. And we're probably not going to publish christopher's bible or whatever right but we are doing that in the way we approach god saying this part doesn't seem right to me so i'm going to forget that or explain that away i'm going to take the parts that i like let me say something uh somewhat bold to you when you open this book the claim of this book is that it is the inerrant word of god your creator okay god who made you and who rules the universe claims to have written this book which means that we sit beneath it not above it if you come to this book judging it over the top of it friends we're wasting our time read something else that's less delusional in its claims about itself we're called to submit to the words and the voice of God listen but that is our challenge To speak in Old Testament terms, we're happy to have the Red Sea, but we prefer not to have Mount Sinai. Sinai. Couldn't God just quietly bless us and answer us when we need him and then let us be? That's the way many of us approach our day-to-day existence with God even still. And that's bad news for Israel in this psalm because God has attached promises to their faithful listening. Look at verses 13 to 16. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever, but he would feed you with the finest of the wheat. With honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. God says, if my people would listen to me, I will bless them. Open your mouth wide, I would fill it. That language in verse 16 about the finest wheat and honey Go to Deuteronomy 32, that's a direct reference to the promised land, the the land of milk and honey, where these things will be true. And if you look at Deuteronomy and the law, what what God says is that the blessings of the promised land will be yours if you listen to me obediently. But if you don't, you don't get those things. This happened to Moses himself. We see it in our text. In verse 7, there's a reference to the testing at Meribah. You Bible scholars know there's actually two testings at Meribah. This one coming after Sinai refers to Numbers 20, where God tells Moses to bring water from a rock, and he tells him how to do it by speaking to it. But Moses thinks, you know what? I did it before by hitting it with my staff, so I'm going to do that again. And that may seem like a small thing to us, but to God, that was not listening to him. And do you know what God says after Moses does it wrong? And fails to listen to him? Because you don't get to go to the promised land. You don't get milk and honey. And the people of Israel, when they're in the promised land, as they go after other gods, as they fail to follow and listen to God, they are eventually sent into exile. Once slaves to Egypt, now they're slaves in Babylon. So God's speaking is this beautiful gift that we should receive and love. And yet, we have a hard time doing that. And for the people of Israel, that was a bad thing because it meant consequences for them. So third point, how do we do it? Well, this is a trick heading because as preaching should always stress, it's not primarily or even especially or even at all about how we do it, but about the fact that Christ has done it. This is not a trick of gospel preachers. This is the truth of the God. Jesus, Christ, was the faithful listener. And in his faithful listening, he opens the way for us to become listeners of God in a new and open way. Christ's listening opens the way for us to become listeners. And that's what that's what we're going to unpack here in this final point. To see this first we need to notice a tension in this psalm. That's a tension that exists in the entire Old Testament god's speaking of the law is seen as part of israel's deliverance as part of their blessing you saw that and their obedience to that law is presented as a condition of their future blessing All right so so there's a question is the law part of our blessing is god's speaking part of our blessing or is obedience to that law the condition of our blessing do y'all y'all see that They're delivered from Egypt by grace and given only then given the law. The Red Sea comes first. That sounds very gracious. But then the law forms the condition of their stay in the Promised Land. This tension is extremely important for us to understand as we look at the Bible. It's, It's deeply theological, but also, I think, fairly easy to understand. And we actually feel it in our bones when we think about the law or righteousness or right and wrong. Because we feel tension when we think about those topics. On the one hand, part of us senses that this is blessing, that right and wrong is good. We love right and wrong. We desire morality and righteousness. And, even, and this is true in this room. It's true all over the city of Charlottesville, all over the world. Even if we don't exactly line up with God's morality, we do love morality. We love the idea that there's right and there's wrong, and we want to be right. And regardless of your opinions on social issues or whatever it is, right, we want to be right and we'll fight for it at the same time we also sense in a different part of us that when we fail to meet the righteousness we fail to listen to obey when we're wrong right there's consequences for us and so we feel guilt and we feel shame we feel fear even if even again even if we're not doing this in theological terms when we're wrong it feels bad what do we do with that sometimes we push against rules, sometimes we justify, but the net result is that the tension that we exist in and that everyone exists in of some kind of hypocritical self-righteousness, which describes us all in this building and and around this city, right, is, is a symptom of this tension. What is the law? What is God speaking to us? Is it blessing? Is it good? Or is it condition? Or is it both? It's a real tension, it's not a misunderstanding. But the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of God's revelation is that throughout the Old Testament, God is hinting and then saying more explicitly that he's going to resolve the tension. That he's going to make this thing work together. And he does it through Jesus Christ. And this, this, brothers and sisters, is the gospel. Jesus comes and listens to God. He lives a faithful and obedient life that earns the blessing of Jesus heaven he fulfills the condition and he gives us credit for it that's the gospel news you can get in on Jesus's obedience but not only that he takes the curse that we deserve for our self-guided lives and bears that himself after Jesus the tension is removed the condition is fulfilled by faith in him And that opens the door for us to become the listeners that God is calling us to be in Psalm 81. Because, see, friends, the gospel, like the law on Mount Sinai, is something that we hear. The gospel is a heard thing. In Christ, we are declared righteous. We are declared freed. We are declared adopted sons of the Most High God. And faith is nothing more than listening. Listening to that declaration spoken over you Martin Luther the great reformer Said this he said if you're a Christian if you ask a Christian what the work is by which he becomes worthy of the name Christian He will be able to give absolutely no other answer than that. It is by the hearing of the Word of God that is faith therefore Luther says the ears alone are the organs of a Christian man The ears alone are the organs of a Christian man. The sense that most relates to our relationship to God is our hearing. And and think about your ears. It's it's our most passive of senses. I can look around and decide what to look at. I can reach out and touch things. I can put food in my mouth to taste it. I can even sniff, right? Breathe in to try to smell better. But our ears are almost entirely passive passive experiences. What comes, comes. And this is a picture of faith. We need only listen. Christ does it all. And as we listen to the beauty of the gospel, and as we trust in his good word concerning us, two things happen. The first is that we learn that the voice of God is a good and tender voice that we should trust. God speaks to us not as judge but as father and we hear it and we listen and as we're trained to listen to the word of righteousness spoken over us which sometimes doesn't seem true we can actually walk in the ways of his instruction his law because we know that's a good voice even if it doesn't always seem right And the second thing that it does is that the burden and threat of not listening to that voice is removed. The tension is gone. It's all blessing. So that even when we fail and we do and we will, we're not driven away from that voice in shame and fear, but we're driven to it so that we can hear the tender words of the gospel once more. Say it again, Jesus. I need your forgiveness. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Christ is revealed to a few of his disciples in glory and a voice comes down out of heaven. You know what it says? It says, this is God speaking. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. Here's the question for us this morning. Have you listened to Jesus? Jesus speaks to you this morning and he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You listen to that? And he can say that. He can give us rest because as he hung on the cross and breathed his last, you know what his last words were? The last thing he said that we need to listen to? He said, it is finished. My listening obedience is complete. The merit that you need to be made right with God is done. Cease your weary labor and rest in my completed work. Have you listened to Jesus? Some of you in this room are not yet Christians. We're so glad that you are here among us. This is what it means to be a Christian, brothers and sisters, to listen to the gospel words of Christ. That's faith you don't need to put the box together you just need to listen to God who says you are righteous you are beloved through Jesus Christ my son it's nice if God tells us what to do and he does it's infinitely better that, Christ, that God has told us what Christ has done these are also questions that each of us in this room who are Christians struggle with every day are you listening to the gospel brothers and sisters are you listening to Jesus are you hearing him do you believe what he says about you do you believe that it's finished That there's rest for you are you trying to make it make it all work to put it all together are you weary with trying to earn your way to some salvation listen come to me all who are weary and heavy laden listen It is finished. Listen. I want to close with a couple practical thoughts because I never do and I'm going to need to be good at that. Here's the practical application of this sermon. Listen, okay? That's it. Listening is passive, it is, but just like we get to choose what's in our AirPods, um, you get to choose what you're listening to in some way. If you want to listen to the voice of Jesus, you need to expose yourself to the voice of Jesus. And you do that in several different ways. You do that when you open this word, hopefully day by day, and hear God's word for you. You do it when you gather together in small groups, as friends, over meals. And brothers and sisters, speak God's words to one another. That's what we are called to do as Christians. Speak Jesus' words to your friends. And then we get to do it here every Sunday morning, listening to the words of God. If a new fangled 21st century guy said I'm gonna design a great religion that's gonna transform lots of people he probably would not design a 30-minute monologue as the centerpiece of that uh, activity right he gets some things to do some interaction right some hands-on activities that sounds much more pedagogically helpful um, right and yet the Bible says That we need to listen and so at the centerpiece of what we do is listening and the power of the holy spirit is that this clown's speaking of god's words on his behalf to you has power in our lives to transform us that's not because i'm some special rhetorician it's because god by his holy spirit takes the words that come in our ears and makes them bear fruit in our lives listen to God. There's there's a place in our life for spiritual disciplines and practices, but the main thing you need to do is sit under God's word and listen, okay? And the paradoxical beauty of this passive listening, this weakest of activities, is that it results in strength and joy. And I just want to close by reading the first three verses of this psalm, which only makes sense in light of everything we've just said. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine the sweet lyre with the harp, blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. Brothers and sisters, every Sunday we gather together is a feast day celebrating the finished victory of Jesus Christ, his resurrection, and because of his strength, we are strong. Because of his work, we have joy. Listen and respond in joyous praise. Amen. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have called us together, that you have given us Ears to hear, and eyes to see, and that you have shown us Jesus. Lord, we pray that this word now proclaimed would bear fruit in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit, that a supernatural thing would be at work, that our hearts would be turned to you in listening, that we would hear the tender words of the gospel, that we would know them and trust them and rest on them, And that trusting in Jesus, we would then follow him. Listening to his words and showing us the way of life. Lord, we cannot do this alone. We have proven that again and again. Would your spirit work in our hearts to make us listeners? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.